Jordan and Gretzky, Serena and Ruth Remembering great ones is easy to do But what about the no names who spent their whole lives Long stepping footballs and catching sack flies They're guys, remember that guy some guys now here comes chicago 17 seconds 17 seconds from game seven or from championship number six jordan open chicago with the lead timeout utah 5.2 seconds left michael jordan running on fumes with remember that guy the show where we mine our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present hey there folks i'm james and i love it when john stockton and carl malone lose Oh, we absolutely love when the pick and roll fails epically two years in a row against the Chicago Bulls. Uh, we do have a very special guest with us this week, folks. We have the man whose name is a little hard to spell and knows what it's like to have a firm hand from Michael Jordan placed on his hip. Please introduce yourself. That's me. It is Brian Russell, not Byron, Brian Russell. That's that's like the main Berenstein Bears thing from my childhood, at least, because I always swore that it was Byron Russell. Yeah, it, it's a tough one. But you know what? Instead, I'm going to be Gabe Plotkin because I just gave Michael Jordan $3 billion to leave Charlotte and never come back. It is a little sad that we're losing the only black and only former player that is an owner in any of the professional sports. I mean, definitely basketball. We got LeBron coming down the pipe in like two years. It's going to be fine. There's a couple minority owners of different sports. Uh, we have Hispanic owner in baseball. We have a Arab owner in football. Uh, was it Matt Ishbia, the uh, Suns dude, I believe is also a non-white individual. But all of this is... I think he's white. He's Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Well, th this could open a whole dialogue, or... <laughs> so, so instead of opening that dialogue, let's open a different one. What is making memories for us right now? So I can go first here, because I have a lot of things. And I'm going to start with the sad one, because I'd rather do that first. Just the other day, police in Florida found Tori Bowie deceased due to complications of childbirth. And it's insane, but three of the four members of the gold medal 4x100 uh, relay team at the 2016 Rio Olympics have either died or nearly died from childbirth. Allison Felix put out uh, an article talking about this through time, about the raw statistics of how black women have a, a maternal mortality rate of over two and a half times white women. There has been plenty of studies showing that their symptoms get ignored by doctors. Serena Williams almost died from childbirth as well. And, you know, it's, it, it's honestly like, it's one of those things where for so long, doctors have been so bad with ignoring this and ignoring teaching black women the signs of, of these issues that a lot of them don't even trust doctors anymore. So Tori Bowie... Want to have a natural birth at home. And 
it, it's ridiculous to think of like it's supposed to be a five percent chance of developing preeclampsia and then a three percent chance of that five percent chance to get eclampsia and yet we've we see this all the time with high profile black female athletes and it, it it's ridiculous and i hope that you know i hope that this never happens again but i hope that maybe this can be the one that opens people's eyes yeah i mean i'm as uh, the whitest person here i don't have anything particularly intelligent to say but it's incredibly sad it is something that goes on constantly well it's i mean it's morbid to say but it's like the the saying about osha regulations rules are written in blood and yep. it's terrible and it's tragic but the only thing that we can hope is that we can affect better outcomes going forward um believe women when they say they're in pain and shit's not right because they're probably right yeah so that was the depressing part so apologize but i wanted to get that out of the way first i thought it was important but there is a lot going on a lot of soccer stuff going on I'm really excited to see uh, Luka Modric in Croatia get one more chance at a trophy for that golden generation. They got the UEFA Nations League final on Sunday against Spain. As much as I love Spain, they've won. They've, they've won Spain's a lot. Spain's got enough. Spain they've, they've has won a sufficient lot. trophies. And Croatia you know, never won anything, but has two third place finishes in the World Cup and a runner-up, including you know two straight semifinal appearances, losing against. France uh, in the final in 2018. So it'd be really nice to see that that golden generation get something. The transfer window is open and things are stupid, which is fun because I like how stupid things get. Fans go nuts over any sort of news. You get the fake aggregators who will take someone's name and change one letter to try to trick fans of other teams. That's my uh, favorite part. That's That's still one of the best things in the dying husk of Twitter. You'll have, uh, you know, a, a Jordy from Newcastle who just learned about the country, the Gambia, because of the new hope that they just signed from a Danish team uh, that they'll they'll see in two years after he goes on loan for a bit. Listen, I've I've always loved the Gambia. Uh, I've always known about the Gambia. I've always known that it existed, and that's why it was no surprise to me when Newcastle signed this great player from the Gambia. <laughs> But it, it's it, it's the fun part of sports because you don't really get trade deadline season can get nuts in America, but you it's nowhere near what transfer window ridiculousness is in in soccer. Just because there's there's so much there's so much so many avenues for disaster and chaos. Well, and also all of our trade deadlines are at most two countries. Yeah, like yeah. maybe and, you get and, and Canada not, in not, there. And we don't see the Gambia at all, unfortunately, for all of the incredible athletes from the Gambia. So excited to see what happens over the next couple months with that. Excited to see who wins the transfer window and then finishes 12th next year after spending $600 million. That's always fun. And then the last thing I want to talk about was that the USA kicked Mexico's ass in the CONCACAF uh, Nations League semifinal Thursday night. The USA has been better than Mexico recently, but I don't think I've ever seen them dominate a Mexican team, at least in modern history. People will point to the World Cup game in 2002, but that was 21 years ago, so not really 
are we officially at the point that we're not saying 2002 is modern history? That's upsetting to me. Yeah, it's not modern history, James. I'm sorry. If a person born in that year can drink legally now, it's no longer modern history. But it, it, the, the game itself was, was nuts. Christian Pulisic, two goals. Carter Pepe, goal. Four red cards because Mexican players, they couldn't match the U.S. on the field, so they tried to just hurt them. We had Cesar Montes, uh, the center back, lose the ball, so instead he decided to kick Bowler and Balogun in the back of the legs intentionally to injure him, starting a massive melee uh, that ended up with a ripped shirt for Weston McKenney, which led to a fantastic tweet from our friend Art But Make It Sports. It's actually pretty fantastic. It's uh, the portrait of go, Agnes go, go Sorel. Look go look at it. Yeah, go, go look at it. It, it. It's really good. Maybe not at work, but still, go, go look at it. McKenney did get red carded for being assaulted by, like, seven Mexican players, which, stupid, sucks that he's going to be out for the final against Canada. Don't think he deserved to, because I've seen him get choked out by Mexican players twice before, by Undiscordado and Hector Herrera, without either of them getting carded. And then, later in the match, uh, Serginio Dest got attacked both by a player and then by fans. So he did then punch a Mexican player in the face. And I can't defend him punching the player in the face. But he did get attacked first by both the player and the fan, so I get why he retaliated. And then that player got sent off too, so it ended 9v9. And then it even ended early because Mexican fans, echoing the, their players on the, on, the, on the pitch, could not stop doing the homophobic chant that they are infamous for and have been punished for. So the referee stopped the game five minutes early. So it was great. But it was not, not officially an abandonment, Xavier. Because I know, I saw that. Game, that was, it, if they abandoned the game, then maybe CONCACAF would have to hold Mexico accountable. But no, the game just ended early for completely normal reasons that have nothing to do with homophobic chants. Nothing to do with homophobia. It's so stupid because it ended five minutes early and we see him have his, his, the whistle in his mouth waiting to hear if they do the chant. And when they do it again, he blows the whistle. It, it's so clearly in response to that that it, like, if CONCACAF's not going to take the you know, step of banning Mexico from tournaments or games, then nothing's going to stop because Mexican fans have made like, petitions not to stop doing this, but to do it intentionally to punish their own team because they're pissed at them. So it's, hey, let's be homophobic on purpose to punish our own team because we're mad. Feliz mes de orgullo. I mean, conceptually, obviously it is horrible that they would chant this thing. But the fact that they're doing it not from, their first motivation is not homophobia, but to shit on their own team. That is a little funny. <laughs> But there was one other thing that came from this game that I think Diaz might be best uh, positioned to, to, to talk about. Are we talking about the replacement manager? We're talking about the replacement manager and the replacement replacement manager. Okay, so first off, for the record, U.S. men's national team did announce that Greg Berhalter, after a long, exhaustive search where they hired like this elite firm to find the most incredible coach that they could possibly find for the U.S. men's national team. 
much like the incredible wide search that Jerry Colangelo led to find the next Sixers GM. They did a wide search, and it just so happened the guy that was already there was the best guy for the job, and they brought back Greg Berhalter. Can I just say, as a member of a public institution that is currently having like a third-party consulting firm do strategic planning with them, that's the most relatable fucking thing that's ever happened in my entire life. We came to the decision that you would have easily reached on your own. Please give us $50 million. See, the best um, part of this is they put out like a statement showing all the criteria that, that they looked at for, at uh, least for, for why the they picked game. him. You have two Gs, fuck off. We need three. And it was, it was like the largest hodgepodge of buzzwords. They use the term technica datalytics which apparently is how they call, like, analytics for on-field play, but it's Technica Datalytics. See, this is why I hate all the fucking nerds getting involved in sports. I just need a guy that says, hey, this guy's good, or hey, this guy's not good. And you know who the U.S. had in charge last night in interim? They had a guy who doesn't know shit about Techna Datalytics or whatever the hell that stuff is. What they did have is they had a Philly boy in charge of the team. The interim coach, not just for this Nations League, the other bizarre thing is that the Gold Cup doesn't happen for like another month, and this man will still be in charge of the team. They're not letting Burhalter coach the team for that tournament. They're letting Brian Joseph Callahan, a.k.a. B.J. Callahan, continue to coach the team. First of all, an incredible thing that he did last night, something that Greg Burhalter never did, is that he started the most talented 11 players on the team all at once. He didn't. No. <laughs> I'm gobsmacked. Maybe we bring Gio Reyna in as a last minute energy sub when we're desperate and we need a goal. No, he, he starts the best 11 players right from the jump. They win 3-0. I want to take you down BJ Callahan's Wikipedia, what he's been up to in soccer throughout his life. He's born in Ventnor City, New Jersey, so just outside AC. Played four years at Ursinus, which is a D3 school just outside of Philadelphia, for those who don't know. After graduating in 2002, he spends one year as an assistant for Ursinus. He goes to St. Joe's, where he spends two years as an assistant for the women's team. Then goes to Nova, where he spends two more years as the assistant for the women's team, before then jumping over to the men's team for five years. In 2014, he joins the union as an assistant, leaves them in 2019 to become an assistant with the U.S. national team. And as of Greg Berhalter's dismissal in January of 2023, he's been the interim guy. Actually, he is the interim interim because Anthony Hudson took over after Greg Berhalter left. Anthony Hudson did the first couple of friendlies of the season, finalized the recruitment of Fuller and Balogun. And then he went to go take a cushy job in the Middle East. So BJ Callahan is the interim, interim manager of the U.S. men's national team. And as Xavier would attest, as any of our footy fans listening would attest, put together the best U.S. roster in years last night and put together like the best lineup that we've seen. They played with positive ideas going forward. The best players were passing and giving and going and being talented, which is something that Greg Berhalter usually <laughs> doesn't his players, though. 
But no, I mean, I just I just want to say for the record, at least I am. And I think I can speak for this whole podcast when I say that we demand that the U.S. men's national team forego the appointment of Greg Berhalter, pay him whatever the fuck you need to to tell him to get out of here with this qualifier. And I'll say this qualifier. If USA goes on to win the Nations League championship for CONCACAF against Canada, and if they then go into the Gold Cup and win the Gold Cup, you have no choice but to make B.J. Callahan the manager. We see it time and time again. The organizations that fail in sports are the ones that keep bringing back retreads and guys that we know about. The Raptors win the championship the first year when they go to Nick Nurse. The Cavs win the championship the first year when they go to Tyron Lue. Nick Sirianni comes in and completely changes the Eagles' culture. We need new blood, and we need Philly blood, and there's nobody <laughs> who will bleed through this team more than a Philly man, BJ Callahan. We all love BJ. BJ for head. BJ for head. <laughs> BJ for head. <laughs> don't blow it. BJ for head. Don't blow it. But no, so that's one guy making memories for me. Annapolis Blues update. They won their second home game. Dominant fashion. Never really in doubt against Virginia Beach City FC. They didn't set the record again for attendance. They didn't break their previous record. But they do now have the two most attended games in NPSL history with only having two home games. So next home game's coming up on Father's Day, Sunday. That should be good and fun. And then one other memory that I was reminded of, thanks to the ever-benevolent Mark Zuckerberg over at Facebook, I was reminded that nine years ago this week, I went to the local basketball courts, just like a couple blocks from our fraternity house up at Temple in North Philadelphia. It was just four of us. We just went to shoot around. Just a random summer day when school's out. And this random North Philadelphia man looks to be in about his 50s. He's probably about 6'3". It's 95 degrees out. He's got black jeans and Tim's on with a white t-shirt. None of this really makes sense. Uh, and we're a little worried about what would be going on. But he comes up to us. He simply asks if he can play with us. We say, sure, why not? And then five uh, other people showed up to the court shortly thereafter. And he asked if we wanted to play full court with him. Now, this guy could have been anybody. Could have been just some random person that's never touched a basketball in his life. He didn't look particularly good when he was just shooting around with us. But that's because, much like Magic Johnson, Brother Mel was not a shooter. He was a passer. He's throwing behind-the-back passes on the dime to everybody. He's, like, calling out our offense. Like, Nolan and Femi didn't even play basketball growing up. But he's calling out offense in a way that they understand what they need to be doing. And they're like, ex we're executing off-ball screens to perfection. We're getting backdoor cuts, Princeton offense. And it was his commentary that I'll never forget. Because I don't think he took a shot, like, the whole afternoon that we were playing with him. But he's just diming passes, and every time he does it, say, come on, baby, got to share the ball, share the love. Share the <laughs> ball, share the love. Spread it around, baby. Little bit for everybody. Just like the most like old-timey like kind of shit talk, because it's not even shit talk. It's just positive reinforcement for his teammates. But I can tell that the 20-somethings that we're playing against are fucking fuming that this old man in black jeans and Tim's is just dicing them up, and he's not even taking a shot. There was one point where one of us on our team, I'm not going to say who, but they, they missed like a wide open layup. Brother Mel comes flying in from the other side, grabs the rebound, dribbles it back out, attracts the defense's attention, 
and passes it right back to the same guy that just missed the layup so he can make another one. Incredible teamwork. A real but player coach. He, he knew what he was doing out there. We needed a veteran to help settle us down. We were just a bunch of college kids, and we needed a vet to come in and, you know, all those things they say. He needed to show us how to win, show us the right way to play, and he certainly did. And I don't know what came of Brother Mel after those two hours we spent together at the 15th and Susquehanna courts, but I know that anytime I'm ever prompted the rest of my life, what's your, like, best pickup basketball story? I'm always going to talk about Brother Mel. I hope he's doing well out there somewhere. I hope I hope he's maybe coaching like a local like AAU team, showing the the joy and the wonders of sharing the basketball and sharing the love. But no, I just those 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 things are kind of like a microcosm of like what we love about sports. You get connection with somebody that you've never met before in your life. You may never see them again after this day, but in this moment, if you're sitting next to them at the game. You're playing the game alongside them. You're sharing something in that moment. And I think that's beautiful. And I think Brother Mel is beautiful. And I hope that he's doing great things wherever he is. I'm sure he's doing better than uh, Uncle Drew right now down in Texas, hating his life. Brother Mel would cook the shit out of Uncle Drew. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, well, and Brother Mel, he's got a game that ages really well, like not being incredibly dependent on athleticism. So I'm sure he's still like making memories for other college kids now. Um, it was, I mean, and like Magic Johnson might seem like hyperbole, but like, I'm telling you, like I watched Magic tape afterwards and I was showing it to the guys I was playing. I was like, no, look, like that's, that's the magic move where he just like backs down the smaller guard and then throws it over his shoulder. That's the magic. And he did that like five times. What about Andre Miller? Cause everything you were describing made me think of Andre Miller too. See, the, the thing is if brother Mel were shorter than I would have said Andre Miller, but it was the fact that he was also the tallest person on the court while doing it. Fair this. enough. Fair enough. But no, Andre Miller, Andre Miller came in the league at 22 and had an old man game. That's we'll have to do a deep dive on him at some point. Andre Miller is certifiably a guy. But before we get into other guys, before we relitigate other guys, James, who's making memories for you? So I uh, got angry about a lot of things this week. So I have an eat shit list. And this is a <laughs> list of people that can eat shit. And I'm going to try to go through it pretty quickly because I do have a few engines. I wrote this the other day. I was like, all right, cool. I got all my notes done because I had all my notes done about the other things for later. And then I had to just keep adding people to the list. So anyway, this is my eat shit list today. Uh, We're going to start with Ethan Strauss. Ethan Strauss wrote an article for Barry Weiss, the fucking free press. So we're off to a great start. Barry oh, Weiss, I know what this article is, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Barry Weiss can also eat shit, but Ethan Strauss can eat shit because he interviewed the Cavender Twins. Uh, Haley and Hannah, college basketball players who were on the U-Miami team that made the Elite Eight, most notably. And now they're going to go into the WWE. Awesome for them. They got a lot of NIL money. He interviewed them and basically wrote an article that boiled down to they're hot so they make more money than any other player for no other reason. And uh, that seems to be completely at odds with the story that he sold them while he was doing the interview. I'm inclined to believe their account of it because, again, the other person is someone that chose to wrote an article for Barry Weiss. So Ethan Strauss and Barry Weiss can eat shit. Next up, Rob Manfred and John Fisher, to a lesser extent. The Athletics fans had the reverse boycott. It's excellent. Much digital ink has been spilled. We're not baseball people. We can't talk about that any better than that. But I can tell Rob Manfred to eat shit because Rob Manfred decided to go out and talk to reporters, which was a terrible idea for Rob Manfred because he's never once in his life made anything better by saying anything. But he decided to say a lot of things despite this track record. Two particular quotes. 
in his snide little fucking weasel shit talky way trying to denigrate the reverse boycott it is great to see what is this year almost an average major league baseball crowd in the facility for one night hey rob manfred and john fisher eat shit also his other quote we have told teams in terms of actual uniforms, hats, bases, that we don't think putting logos on them is a good idea just because of the desire to protect players, not putting them in a position of doing something that may make them uncomfortable because of their personal views. These personal views, you know, things that people might rightfully think is hateful, like, I don't know, Nazi flags or Confederate flags or, uh, like, large caricatures of uh, Native American stereotypes. No, it's any kind of rainbow for Pride Month. Eat shit, Rob Manfred couple other people nigel farage an unsuccessful uk politician who did manage to do one thing in his life which is start brexit the shittiest thing the uk has ever done to itself uh other than like becoming a horrible colonial well this is the worst thing they've ever done to themselves we'll put it that way uh anyway uh there's a muslim cricketer on the australian team his name is uh osman kamanaj i believe i'm pronouncing that correctly i'm very sorry if i'm not but Australia destroyed India in the World Test Cricket Championship. And then because Usman is Muslim uh, and it is haram for him to touch alcohol, all his team members chilled and didn't celebrate with champagne because, I don't know, they like their teammate. And Nigel Farage, not from the same country as these people, decided to pipe up with a tweet. Once again, the Australian cricket team do not celebrate in champagne style because one of the members is a Muslim are we all to suspend normal life because of the minority? Eat shit, Nigel Farage. Fuck you. Next up, we're going to go through a bit of a Pride Month speed round after that Rob Manfred one. Anthony Bass doesn't have a job anymore. But you know Yay. what? Anthony Bass should still eat shit. Joseph Tsart. This is a civilian individual. A grandfather of a kid in Kelowna, British Columbia. This kid is a nine-year-old who is racing against another nine-year-old. Joseph Tsar, who, by the way, I want you to know, looks like a level of like shitty, fake tan, leathery skin that I would not have thought was possible that far north in British Columbia, Canada, but somehow manages to be this like human hot dog. And uh, he decided to try and get a girl kicked out of a track meet because he was yelling that she was clearly trans. This is a, a completely non-trans nine-year-old girl who just had a pixie cut. And uh, he wanted to be clear, look, this is his defense later on, paraphrase it a little bit. I didn't want to inspect her genitals. I was just saying I need to see a birth certificate. So anyone that like thinks any kind of trans exclusion is not going to come to bite people in the ass later know that that's like the person on that side so joseph tsar eat shit that reminds me also, of the arizona thing where uh for arizona one of the people who was writing those anti-trans sports bills in arizona they used the testimony of one girl who it turns out she was the daughter of what the legal counsel for the adf writing that bill and the person who she claimed was trans on the other team that caused them to lose was that team's coach's daughter who just had a pixie cut it's uh and that was the only evidence they used to pass that bill that is going to lead us to our final one this is the last person on the eat shit list today i do appreciate everyone's patience with it uh i am going to go a little bit deeper into chelsea mitchell self-described fastest girl in connecticut you may recognize that name from (laughs) a couple years ago when chelsea mitchell while in high school tried to make life very very terrible for two trans athletes in particular and trans athletes everywhere those two in particular were terry miller and andrea yearwood they were running in her class in the connecticut high school system at that time and uh chelsea mitchell 
just didn't think this was fair. Just started a whole stink about this. Now, here's the thing back then, kid, and you are largely being funded by the ADF, as you said, Xavier, the Alliance Defending Freedom. I, I can believe that maybe you're an impressionable kid that needs the benefit of the doubt. Also should point out, uh, she beat both of them in multiple runs during the year of 2020 and won titles against them, despite saying in her complaints how it's impossible for her to dream of a state championship against these athletes that, again, she beat for a state championship. That's not the only award that she got. She also got an award from the Connecticut GOP for the courage that Chairman J.P. Romano wanted to, yeah, J.P. Romano, while we're here, or sorry, J.R. Romano, whatever your name is, eat shit. Uh, it takes courage to sue and challenge today's cancel culture, describing Chelsea Mitchell's actions at the time as courageous. They weren't then, nor are they now, when she is, as a college athlete, still on this fucking kick. She has resurrected this goddamn case, and it is returned to a new lawsuit in Connecticut after losing previously when the Biden administration came in and kind of kicked the DeVos capitulation of that to the curb. I just want to point out a semantic thing that is funny about that statement, because he said, like, having the courage to sue against the cancel culture. Did I get that quote right? Yeah. Yeah. She is trying to cancel athletes from competing. Yep. It's like it's like that fucking thing. What with is a lawsuit if not an attempt at cancellation? Right. Like it's one of those things with fascism where they just like keep saying shit until like it means nothing anymore. Because if words don't mean anything, then they can mean anything or like whatever the fuck. Muddying the waters, obfuscating, eat shit. Eat shit. Eat shit, Chelsea Mitchell. Basically, I'm bringing this up because she has resurrected the cases. And uh, it just sucks because... Like, some people pay the estimate of the number of trans female athletes that are competing at a high school level at about 50 nationwide. And the fact that there is such this, the ability to rile up an entire nation's worth of a voting base over this thing that, again, 50 kids represent, it, it shows up in the same way. Oh, this is when they're talking about gender reassignment surgery. Again, something that, like, does not happen to children in the first place. When they talk about, oh, how they're sterilizing an entire generation, we're talking about, like, one single fucking percent. And so just all of you saying that. In this, el mes de orgullo. Eat shit. Come mierda. Come mierda. Sorry, I just uh, I had a lot of anxiety, and this is, the, not anxiety, I had a lot of anger. And, and this is the place that we have to work that out. But we do have other things that we need to work out today. We have once again reached the end of another phenomenal batch of guys. Let's take a moment. Kudos all around. Pat ourselves on the back. But, of course, the nine that have already entered in, we think that doesn't represent the full totality of what we got here. We need to add six more in our sixth edition of Relitigation. I'm very excited to dive into this. And I'm very excited that I get to dive into this first as we go, because I, I feel like I can try and set the tone for the class, I'm, I'm trying to very much this time as we go into it, think of it as like the class of individuals that is coming in all at once, trying to make the perfect six out of what remains. And I think I'm going to start looking at Xavier today. Okay. Now, when I was thinking about Xavier, there were initially two that came to mind for the bit. And I do like the bit, but the more I thought about these two, I don't think I can necessarily do either of them. I did think about Brian Grant, one, because he's a Xavier alum, and it would be very funny to bring the guy from Xavier, <laughs> from Xavier, 
while his so i did calculate one thing that i want to share with you i was curious like, okay he's made a lot of money how can we put the amount of money that he made in perspective with his contributions would you like to guess how much money brian grant made per point in his career I mean, he did score. It's not like he was off. He scored. He's not. He's, yeah. not, he's not. He's not. Ga- he's not gadget. He. He did. He did score. So I don't know, like ten. Ten thousand. thousand. Thirteen point five thousand per point. He also, for every single minute that he played in his entire career, was getting paid five thousand dollars for each of those minutes. That's and like it's not pretty a good, staggering pretty... amount, but that's a bag getter. Like that, that is, is a bag getter. getter. He held to that category very well. And like, he almost started to stretch into one other category, which isn't even an official one that we've done, but like Blazers, big men, we talk about them a lot. We've got Sam Bowie in there, but if I was going to use that, there is another Blazers, big man that I was still thinking about. So that all kind of eliminated Brian. Martin Strzok, I thought about because I was thinking how you very often Xavier specifically do vote for someone that will uh, tickle Diaz or me in particular, someone from our kind of emotional background. And Martin Straka, like, clearly was such a meaningful player to you. And that was compelling. But the longer I thought about it, frankly, I am just a more heartless individual than you, Xavier. And that that was (laughs) not enough for me to put Martin Straka over the top. I have decided to start this class off with a guy that really does it for me because in the end, what he made possible was for many other guys to make memories for their fans. I am going to go with Leo Carlin as my first. That's where I thought you were going to go with this. Yeah. Not only does he do that, not only does he open the world for all of these fans to view every single game that they did. Like, you know, same as you said to Diaz, there's probably, even if you didn't go to games, like there were games that you watched where he was delivering the experience that he'll build with, like that's a small little hand that he has in it, but quantity eventually of the number of times he does that, just it, it's, it's a far reaching influence. And also the thing that is maybe like the, the passage or quote that has stuck with me the most of all the things we've talked about this last few is just when he was talking about like physically flipping through tickets. I mean, we three have all held physical tickets. We're not so like removed from that, but even then, I mean, like it's it, you almost always are just getting scanned on your phone now, and it was so nice to like get taken back to just this guy and the tactile quality of that. Like I used to love <laughs> saving them so much from those games. So uh, anyway, Leo Carlin, that is my my one from Xavier for relitigation six class. Yeah, look, I'm all for more Philadelphia Eagles representation. Like he's probably responsible for again if we take it to scale, James. His contribution to the happiness of each fan at the game may not be that great. However, there have been so many fans that if we were to take this in a pure utilitarian value added, like with the small percentage of happiness that he's responsible Mm -hmm. for, he's probably like a top 10 happiness giver in Eagles history. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable metric. Like he's not in like the Nick Foles tier, but he's quick diversion. Who do you think is the single most I gave joy to Eagles fans player of all time? I mean, it's probably Nick Foles. 
I and assume the top three. Nick Foles, Nick Foles does not make my top five Eagles quarterbacks of all time. Sure, 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 sure. But in terms of happiness given, I wasn't sure if the careers of Cunningham could overcome the championship of Foles. And you're saying it is still Foles? Yeah, because I mean Cunningham, like Cunningham is still looked at positively in the city, but he's not looked at like in the same graces as say like Iverson and Dawkins and Mike Schmidt. Okay. So he's certainly not in those graces. But yeah, just like I mean, in terms of pure happiness given, because sure. I mean, the happiest day of like most Eagles fans' lives was Super Bowl 52. And I'll just, oh God, I'll never get over the fever dream of realizing that this dorky fucking Napoleon Dynamite looking guy <laughs> is actually outdueling Tom Brady right now. But no, we digress. Leo Carlin, with just like the pure volume of tickets sold and interactions had with fans, I'm sure he made some lighthearted jokes to many a fan that came through the doors that got a hearty chuckle. I love it. I love it. I probably, my first, when did Leo retire? Less than 10 years ago. It was, it was pretty pretty recently. Um, so my, my first Eagles game was 2008. So I likely owe my attendance at that game to systems set up by Leo Carlin. So You definitely owe it to systems set up by Leo Carlin. 2015. 2015. directly. Okay, yeah. So like my first like six, seven Eagles games I owe to Leo Carlin. So I think we need to, we need to pay that back. We need to get Leo into the hall. We've got a ticket for him this time. But Xavier, I've I've taken from you. Let's let's go ahead and see what you have next. Debating who I should go for here. If I should take from Diaz first, or if I should take from you to make sure I get the one I really I really want. I think I'm gonna go with Stacy Moore. Because I love the idea of he didn't invent cornhole. He didn't create the American Cornhole Organization or the American Cornhole Association. Or the American Cornhole Association of America. But he did <laughs> do what we always say. He just made his own cornhole, not with blackjack and hookers, but with an ESPN deal and a lot of money, and just made his own cornhole league. I love the idea of just taking something stupid that you love to do at a tailgate. Like, you know what? I have the money to try to make this a thing. So... I'm going to try it. And even if I fuck up the first couple times, I'm just going to keep trying it because I believe in this stupid sport of tossing little bags onto a board. You know, I, I really appreciate the dedication that he had to this. And, you know, maybe he can get us into the Cornhole League. That's something that I think we could possibly do. Because if not, then we can make our own Cornhole League. The Cornhole Association of America, the true CAA make another schism have them then buy us out for five million dollars or more in about two years i feel like the opportunity is there bear with me here the cornhole organization board god damn it the cornhole I mean, cob two levels because you have the obvious corn on the cob pun you also have the board which they throw onto oh yeah no i'm i'm going on all cylinders here I, I do, do think like it's, it. you know, Xavier talks a big game about supporting women's sports. He did pick the one white American guy available on the list from me. So, Yo, I have to admit, the second option was Vinko Bogatai, so it wasn't going to be, no matter what it was, it was going to be. I mean, he's at least from a different country. I just, I like dude, those no, stories dude. the best. 
<laughs> so it, it, it's all about it's all about stories. I will say I did think about Flo Hyman a lot too, but it, it was a sad story, and I didn't want to talk about it more. I think that was the problem that it, that it was sad, and I wanted to choose a happy cornhole story. I I get Stacy over a lot of them. I'm looking at the list again now, and you have created a binary where one of two people is not going to get in, and and there are two that I am like. I'm shocked that one of the two of them will be left out. But you know what? That's how we operate. Stacy, if you're listening, we want in with the league. We can be shoutcasters for your league. We can totally commentate on Cornhole. Just look at Diaz. He could definitely do that. It's always been my dream to be a Cornhole influencer. And <laughs> I feel like it's within reach now. Cobb is real. Cobb is a, is a dream that we have. But Diaz, I dream of a world in which I know who your first pick for the, this relitigation class is. Some dreams do come true. And I guess it's, it's inconsequential which of the two of you I go with first. Because I've already... I, I propose, just to shake it up, just to shake things up a little bit, let's do Snake this time. Let's give you back-to-back and then go to Xavier and finish me. We'll go back-to-back. Okay, so I'll go with the one that I didn't waver on one bit. For Xavier... The second we did last week and we decided Peter Buckley wasn't going to win, I knew I was coming right back to him this week. (laughs) There's just something about waking up in the morning and knowing that your job is to get pounded in the face and lose. And the fact that you keep getting out of bed and you keep going to work, it says something about the human condition and the spirit of... In particular, boxers. Like, they're, they, they are the modern-day gladiators. And Peter Buckley wasn't getting sent out there to kill lions. Peter Buckley was getting sent out there to be massacred from limb to limb to a cheering crowd that wanted to see violence and wanted to see him lose. But it's the fact that, like, anybody can go out there and lose, right? I, I could go out there and get my ass kicked like Peter Buckley did. But it's the fact that in so doing, he earned the respect of so many within the British boxing community that stands out to me. Like, you don't call somebody the professor if you think they're an asshole. You don't call somebody the professor if they don't know what they're doing. And just that resiliency and that mutual respect amongst his peers is what I think makes it indisputable that Peter Buckley is a guy. I do love Peter Buckley. I, I I was pandering to you specifically with Peter Buckley, but also I just happened to see, like, it, it was the first thing I saw when I was prepping for that episode. And I was, it, it, it's perfect. How can you beat a guy who was 88 professional boxing matches without a win, but is not considered a bad boxer? Like, you just assume that, like, oh, he's the worst boxer ever. But n- no, he just... He had his role, and he played it really, really well for a long time. Yeah, and I guess the only knock that you could say in, like, James, like, well-heard criticism last week. Yeah, most times he knows he's going in to lose, and it's, it's not... The one thing, I guess, like, it's not that it's fixed. It's not like he's pulling punches or trying... Mm-hmm. It's that he knows that his efforts are futile, and I think that is what makes it stand out even more. And, like, I want to say that my 
my criticism was exclusively when we were discussing like the importance of streaks and stuff. It mattered to me a lot more when it was like, I'm trying to stack up this historically bad streak against his, because that's when I thought it mattered more at the same time. Like, I mean, I got nothing against wrestling. We've got right to censor in here. Like, I'm not going to say that any amount of that kayfabe or any kind of futile effort description that you're talking about, Diaz, that does not disclude him from being a guy in the slightest. I'm thrilled to welcome in Peter Buckley. Honestly, I just didn't talk about him because I knew you probably would have more to say. It's no I, no, I love Peter Buckley, and I thank Xavier for bringing him up. So then sneaking back around, I have to pick somebody from James's nominees now, and I'm going to defer to what one of my my broadcasting coworkers, Michael, probably listened to this. What's up, Michael? He went back and listened to episode 57 in which we talked about scandals and James brought up probably the most well-known scandal in marathon racing history with Rosie Ruiz. Michael texted me simply, Rosie Ruiz is a guy. <laughs> and I can't argue that. You know, he, he said it and it's true. Rosie Ruiz is a guy. And while like my main argument against Rosie, and I still do feel this a little bit, is like you can't be an athlete when you like just like pretended to be an athlete, basically. Like it's a little bit like like Roland <laughs> Valor a little bit. <laughs> and it does rub me the wrong way. But you at, at a certain point, like Do you the remember story, that guy that cheated the Boston Marathon? Like that's it. That's the line. Exactly. Exactly. And like I I love a good like elevator pitch on a guy. I love a good like thesis statement about a guy and Rosie Ruiz has one of the most powerful thesis statements that we've ever had. So I think in in spite of her fraudulence and the fact that like, what, what do you think, what do you think is the furthest Rosie Ruiz has ever legitimately run in her life? I said last 20 miles. I think one time she did 20 miles. She was like, yeah, I could probably get the last six. And then thought that was close enough. I mean, I like I question if she's even ever ran a half because she didn't look like out of shape, but she didn't look in. She's done ten ks where like she finished, and with that reputation, I have to imagine that if she cheated, she would have gotten caught. Without Fair. a doubt, she's completed official sanctioned ten ks. Yeah, um, it's it's it's. What what, what about you, Xavier? What, what do you think's the furthest she ever ran? We're saying uh, 6.2 miles is like the floor. I'm going to say she did a 10 miler once and called it a day. I think she probably did a 10 miler at some point. I feel I think that makes the most sense where she's like, just oh, I did this. I think I can do like a little more than than double this easy, and then quickly realize that she could not. I get yeah. The, the one thing that I would say like I've gotten into running more recently, and like my biggest thing with it was like. You can't you can't lie about numbers, but apparently you can. That's what Rosie told me, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I want to acknowledge that and uh, welcome Rosie into the hall. I will admit I am shocked that Nancy Faust and Vinko Bogate are both sitting on the outside. I was going to ask if if either of those were one, uh, Th- those were the two that I I came into this thing because you've been so against Rosie's and don't get me wrong, I had written her off. I'd assumed that was impossible. Love the selection, big fan. But I had fully come into this figuring that it was going to be Vinko Bogate and Nancy Faust. And uh, you know what? This is how the guy bunal works. Just means I, I have to get Nancy Faust on here so I can make a new case with her. 
I will say I was going to go Vinko, but then in order for us to beat the white male favoritism allegation, <laughs> could not then also put in Vinko with Stacy. It was it was my responsibility on behalf of the entire guy bunal to to beat the 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 white male favoritism allegations. Well, and speaking of white male favoritism, Xavier, how are you feeling about Diaz's roster there? You, so, the face of white male favoritism. So, there may be a little bit of diversity. It's, it is a white male. <laughs> but they, they are not born in America. <laughs> so it is not Dick Higgum. As much as I was very close to picking Dick Higgum, it is Arvidas Sabonis because yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I've always loved like the other dream team, the idea that he, despite being injured, he played for the Soviets in '88 just because he wanted to go to America and play in the West, and they promised him that he could, and then he wins the gold medal, and then they immediately like. Nah, you gotta stay here. We we need to market you. And it's just like, well, fuck you guys. Immediately after the fall, plays for his, his newly freed Lithuania, one of the few teams that did not participate as the unified team in the Olympics. They have no money. Get the Grateful Dead tie-dye. They beat the po- other post-Soviets in the bronze medal. Celebrate in their faces. Like, that level of revenge over a team that is technically the successor to the one that you won the gold medal for just four years previously, I think is fantastic. And I really, it, it's one of those what ifs of what if he could have come over in 88 and had much more of his prime in the NBA. I mean, we get to see DeMontis now and we're like, Arvidas is was better than DeMontis. So just imagine a better version of DeMontis right now. Imagine if DeMontis was 7'4 and had <laughs> three-point range. That's Arvidas. No, I think, think it feels like to lose to a team wearing tie-dye basketball jerseys? What do you think it feels like to lose to a team wearing tie-dye basketball jerseys when their best player was your teammate four years earlier? When, like, when you brought that up, Xavier, like, the only thing I could think was Arvidas is the anti-KD. He won with them and then said, fuck those guys. I want to beat them now. And then did it. And just think about the Soviet Union for a second in the fact that in the Soviet Union, the Baltic states were always the redheaded stepchild. So it's like, these are the guys we don't really give a shit about, except they're pretty good at basketball. So we're going to use them to win some trophies. Then it's like, all right, well, everything we've ever known since we've been born has collapsed but you know we're gonna stick together we're gonna play in this in the olympics together and then those guys are like nah fuck you and then they beat your ass like i I would love to have been a fly in the wall for the the celebrations for the lithuanians and the locker room for the unified team afterwards when they had to watch the lithuanians in arvidas celebrate that made me think, Xavier, because like we have so many good Eastern European basketball players, like whether it's Luka, whether it's Nikola Jokic, Yusuf Nurkic, the Bogdanoviches. Who's like, who's the best modern Russian basketball player? Is it Timothy Mozgov? Yeah, probably because AK forty seven. Maybe Karolenko, yeah, if, if we have a, a loose enough definition of modern. 
Yeah, again, we, we've, I'm learning. We all discussed kinds what modern was today, so yeah, former sixth Andre Karolanko. Yeah, I'd say that's probably Mozgov, at least in the past like 10, 15 years. But I mean, it's like, R- Russian basketball pretty bad now. I mean, R- Russian sports, like even pre this current reason to dislike them, were not really good for a while, despite the fact that. You know, they well, actually they spent all of their money drugging athletes to be great at the Olympics. That is what they, they did. They focused on the drugs and and not the sports enough. And when you take away the drugs and you've not paid attention to the sports for a while, it's easier to have sports and no drugs than drugs and no sports. <laughs> Pandemic lockdown proved that for a lot of us. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Arvidas Sabonis. I knew that one was coming. That does not affect anything. This is tough, though. This was tough to get through years, Diaz. You had a lot of great ones. The person that I wanted to bring in more than anything might have been Pele Lindbergh. But you know what? I, I just cannot endorse drunk driving. And it is great that he starts like this never-ending quest for a Flyers goalie. He's this European pioneer. He is one of only two people to ever, after they die, be uh, voted into an all-star game. Can either of you get the other one? It's in any of the four major sports. After they died to be voted in. Yes. The Heath Ledgers of the all-star game. So, okay, I'm thinking. Jose Fernandez died at the end of the season. I think Diaz I, is probably right on that one. It is not Jose Fernandez. Well, no, yeah, because Jose Fernandez died in, like, late September. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. off-season. So it happened, it happened um, mid-season... Is it Daryl Kyle? Because that was the Cardinals pitcher that died in the... Is, okay, I will... When did, I will when did Corey Lytle die? I will narrow it down. It is football. I, I might ask Morgan Munson. One more hint. The team is Washington. Oh, Sean, Sean Taylor. Taylor. Sean Taylor. The, the light went off in our brains at the exact same time, Diaz. Yeah, he died. he died on my birthday, actually. It was like my 15th birthday. So yeah, him and Paley Lindbergh, a bit of a morbid stat, but it is something the two of them have. But uh, again, just can't get over the drunk driving. And then the next thing I wanted to kind of do is, as I'm talking about, like I'm completing a class here and I want to think about how best to contribute to the Hall. And at first I was worried, like, ah, this season's been a little baseball heavy, but, you know, the Hall's also always been a little bit basketball heavy and everyone left pretty much is baseball or basketball. And so it, it took a while to really get down there. Robert Ory. I, I was able to at least knock him out because last time I came, like, I can't just pick Bruce Bowen because he's the spur. And <laughs> then we ended up with Bruce Bowen anyway. This time I can avoid Robert Ory. Dick Higgum. I can't think of any other athletes that went on to become officials. But then again, e- even if he then eventually cheated, he did become a narc. So can't have that. I really couldn't narrow it down further, assuming that you were going to have Arvidas between Fitz, Bobby Bonilla, and Charles Gadget Jones. And then when I said those three out loud, I'm like, I'm overthinking this. It is Orioles legend, Bobby Bonilla. It's got to be Bobby Bonilla. I, like, that is one of the most guy athletes in sports. And it was like someone clearly we were going to get to someday. We were going to do Bobby Bonilla. But I, like, no one else has a day. No one else that we've discussed this whole season has a day. There is Bobby Bonilla day. And it was so great to like go back and think about the fact that, man, the contract wasn't like 
that insane when it was signed, but it just morphed into this punchline that the Mets will never be able to escape. Like, we will keep talking about this after it's done because it's just such a fucking Mets thing to, like, do this, do it for seemingly the wrong player, and then also due to a completely, like, unrelated, unprecedented pyramid scheme in American finance, it come to be even worse than you already clearly <laughs> had it be when you signed in the first place. Imagine if, like, the Mets as an organization had to fold because of, like, the financial fallout of Bernie Madoff and then still, like, you know, the Mets last played a baseball game 20 years ago, but today they had to pay Bobby Bonilla $1.2 million. I, I remember very specifically, this came up recently because there's uh, new court cases about, I believe, uh, the GameStop meme stock. I just remember so vividly laughing my ass off that like Steve Cohen in particular, after buying the Mets and spending all this money on players for the Mets, was hemorrhaging money because of some douchebags on Reddit just like short selling, uh, or not short selling, but planning a grift essentially of this GameStop meme stock. Pump and dump is the specific thing I'm looking for. Dude, GameStop, I mean, he, he liked the stock. He said it in front of Congress. It wasn't a grift. He just likes the stock. But this, this will be the only comment I'll ever give on the whole GameStop thing. When the rich people do it, it's fun and legal. But when the poor start realizing that they can do it too, that's when we need to have congressional hearings. It's like, um, it's like if you always beat your little brother in like nba jam but then one day he learned the codes that you've been using the whole time and he's like whoa hey you don't get unlimited turbo what the fuck no i thought i thought you were going for a misdirected bit at first when you said in order to round out this class i thought we were going to go with the teacher kathleen fitz 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 was absolutely my number two like when i finally came to the decision about bobby bonilla that was like the butt that that i kind of agonized over for a while but again like I really did just keep saying, you're overthinking this. It's Bobby Bonilla. No, it's definitely Bobby Bonilla. Like, if you had talked yourself in the fits, it would have been like, what's his face? When Max Kellerman said, I'd, I'd rather have Iguodala take a shot than Steph Curry. It's like, I think yeah. you overthought that one, Max. I think the obvious answer is the greatest <laughs> shooter of all time. I just don't think there's anyone that is... If we're talking about the bar test, Diaz, if we're talking about your classic way of evaluating it, Bobby Bonilla is going to get everyone at that bar, baby. Everybody has a line. Everybody will have a drink. Everybody will raise a toast to Bobby Bonilla, as we will now. I think, I think this is uh, – we have our six now, right? We do. Yes. yes but we I, I, I did have one thing that I just saw that I do want to bring up just real quick. So we talked about who could be the best modern Russian NBA player. Sure. Well, only three – Russians have ever played more than 150 games in the NBA. And we've already talked about two. And you guessed the third. Alexei Shved. Yes, it is Sixers and Knicks legend Alexei Shved. The 182 games. But there's only three. Only three Russians have played more than 150 games. Lithuania, That's pretty wild. Lithuania has eight. Alexei Shved of throwing a layup over the backboard fame. Like, not only over the backboard, that shit went, like, 20 feet clear of the backboard. I've never seen anything like that. It's incredible. And he can always say he's either the second or third best Russian player ever in NBA history. Well, not to be Russian into anything too prematurely, but 
uh, Diaz, I do believe. I, I don't. Is there any further discussion? Do we need to hold up any of these six for a moment for any final examination before we open up the basement? I, I like where we're at here. I think we can. You know, the basement's been a little crowded uh, with all the people we've added this season. I think we can let them breathe a little bit, literally and figuratively. All right. Well, for, for all of you down there, uh, enjoy this brief glimpse of sunlight as we welcome up the six who are worthy of being let out of the basement and being welcomed into the Hall of Guy. Season six was a great season for us, and it's a season that we're thrilled to welcome in six more. So from James's nominees, we'd like to welcome Rosie Ruiz and Stacey Moore. From my own, we'd like to welcome Bobby Bonilla and Arvita Sabonis. And from Xavier's, it is our duty to welcome Leo Carlin and Peter Buckley into our illustrious Hall of Guy. The Hall continues to grow. The Hall continues to go stronger. The Hall hungers for guys, and it was just fed six more great ones. The hunger will never cease, but it is our duty, our honor, and our privilege to contribute to the at least temporary sating of it. I mean, we've also been so privileged to have four other excellent guys added in our time with all of our guests this season who helped us fill in some time. And we are always very privileged to have the audience that we do that is happy to put up with us finding other people for very short episodes because we traveled a lot the last two months. Thank you for that, everybody. Uh, and I know I say this every couple months when we get to any kind of mini milestone, but gosh, I really do love doing this show with two of my best friends. And I just like taking a moment to acknowledge that when we have moments that are perfect for that. Love discussing guys with these guys. It's a great time. It's always fun. Keep listening. Tell people about it too. We deserve more listeners. We appreciate the ones we have. <laughs> we deserve more <laughs> Like, the pyramid scheme might not have worked for Bernie Madoff, but if you tell three friends, tell three friends to remember some guys, they're going to have a good time. They should do it. It's fun to do, but we do actually put a lot of effort into it. So we, we, do, we appreciate everyone who does listen. So thank you all. James has done an incredible job with reaching out to guests. I'm too anxious to randomly email people. Uh, but James that has... Almost <laughs> none of them respond, so, like, it's fine. It means nothing. A very small percentage respond, and gosh, do we thank the ones the that... The scattergun don't. approach, apparently it works. So, thank you, James. The, the J.R. Smith of getting <laughs> podcasts. Yeah, it's the same as we said before the show. I'd rather shoot two for 18 than two for eight, because it means I kept shooting. Might even end up four for 21. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean, we, we are thankful for that. We are also thankful to Craig and all of his coders. We are thankful to our musical director, Don Ham for that lovely theme music. Uh, I am thankful to my co-host and our very special guests. And most of all, we are thankful for you, dear listener, for joining us once again. If you want to keep checking out the guys of the week, you can find that and everything else at bit.ly slash remember that guy, all one word, all lowercase. We will be back with some interstitial programming for two weeks. Just going to do it real quick. Then we'll get on to the next one, but we're going to take a tiny bit of an interstitial break. And until we continue with that, I have been James. I've been the very special guest, Xavier. And I'm Diaz. And as Walter White once said to Jesse Pinkman, it will ruin our batch and we need to destroy it and every trace of it so we can cook. This guy is a major problem for us. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it.
That's like the first episode I saw. It's probably my favorite episode of Breaking Bad. Yeah, I mean, Cranston carries fly. They only even wrote that episode because they were like way over budget. They're like, hey, we need to shoot like every scene is just you two in this fucking room by yourselves. They ran ISO ball like what, 2019 Harden? Exactly. exactly. And, and they didn't go over 27. <laughs> like those fucking rockets. 